Welcome to the second season of Reset the Table. Russia's war in Ukraine affects agricultural markets and threatens food security for millions around the world. The UN Food System Summit is behind us, and COP27 and the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health are upon us. Join us as we examine solutions to food insecurity challenges around the world and right here at home. Hello and welcome everyone to the next Reset the Table podcast. My name is Kimberly Flowers and I'll be the guest host for today's episode. I'm currently a senior associate with the CSIS Global Food Security Program. And today we are talking about the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition and health. And with us, I'm very excited that we have Earthrin Cousin. If you work in this industry, you do know she's such a thought leader in the global food and nutrition space. She's currently the founder and CEO of Food Systems for the Future, but she's a former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. agencies, as well as a former executive director of the U.N. World Food Program. So let's first talk about the end of September. The Biden administration hosted the first conference on the nation's hunger, nutrition, and health since Nixon. And it also released a strategy thinking through how more Americans can access food that can keep families nourished and healthy. So something that was worked on for months, brought in a lot of stakeholders, billions of dollars in new commitments and partnerships. A lot of it's going to be dependent on bipartisan support and a lot of new policies announced or hopeful to be pushed out, as well as new partnerships. We're going to talk to Earthrun today about the conference, her thoughts on how historic is this? What does it mean? What does it mean moving forward? Actually, so let's just start right there. Earthred, I mean, this was the first conference since Nixon, right? So did it really feel that historic? And do you really think this is going to have transformational change to the food systems in America? Well, first of all, thank you very much for convening this conversation, because as you know, no matter what the outcome of a conference, the value of that conference is the viability of the conversations after the conference. And so this is very critical. This type of conversation that you and I are sharing today is quite critical to continuing the dialogue that is necessary that generates the momentum for, first of all, convening a conference and then at the conference itself. So from what I've just said, I'm sure I'm foretelling my answer, which is yes, indeed, it felt historic. To have the entire hunger, nutrition, academic private sector, those with lived experiences, as well as members of government from both sides of the aisle, as well as administration officials sitting together for an entire day talking about and listening to, but more importantly, engaging in a dialogue about how we as Americans, we're not talking about the problems someplace else, we're talking about the problems right here at home, how we as Americans address the challenges of hunger, nutrition, and health right here. We know that some 117 million Americans suffer from diet-related disease. And we also know that 33 million plus Americans at any given time are hungry. And too many of them are standing in a food line in order to meet their needs. This conversation brought all of those issues together with an idea of developing outcomes that could change that paradigm. You know, a lot of those 
challenges that we have around hunger and diet and inequalities too were exacerbated during the pandemic. And some of Biden's policy pushes came out of the pandemic. You know, his push related to the child tax credit, for example. So what I'd like to shift to now is some of those big policy pushes, you know, whether it's the child tax credit, the universal free school lunches, the front of the label, nutrition guidance. Do you think that Biden has the right bipartisan support in Congress to get some of those policies and because it's going to take legislation and it's going to take support from a lot of people. You know, throughout his remarks, as you noted, President Biden stressed the need for bipartisan support. And he also stressed the need for a reality that implementing innovative solutions to help those 33 million hungry Americans and those 117 million Americans who live in both blue states and red states, that the solutions, the policy solutions that are required would require bipartisan support. And Americans suffering from diet-related disease, it will require not just that bipartisan support, but multi-sector support. Because the difference between this conference and the conference 50 years ago is that we look to government to address these problems. And they did. If you recall, the SNAP program, the WIC program, the school meals program, all were outcomes from that first conference. While there were significant policy recommendations put forward by the president, there was also a recognition that this is a whole of society problem will require a whole of society solution. So there was as much commitment from the private sector for change and for investment as we witnessed from the public sector. Yeah, I mean, certainly that whole of society solution is really important. I mean, I have to say, I was pretty impressed to hear that there were $8 billion in commitments. I couldn't list them all, but I certainly saw some of the big names. So I am curious, because I'm sure you know a lot of those. Is there one of those partnerships that really, I don't want to say surprised you, but that you were like, yes, that's the right partnership, you know, that we need. And that's sort of something different that you haven't seen before. Is there one that sort of stood out to you as something that was you think would make the most impact? So I'm a little parochial here. Give me that much leeway. FSF, my organization, and S2G worked together to build a coalition of private sector investors, finance people, who, when you talk about the VC community, often the response is they're looking for financial return and unicorns. But we were able to catalyze a conversation around new money of $2.5 billion from over 20 firms and corporates to invest in the food systems transformation in this country. Some of it is at the agriculture level, some of it's consumer goods, some of it's retail, but over the next three years to bring new capital into a space and agriculture and food have lagged far behind FinTech and health and particularly energy in the investments over the past five to 10 years. And so with this level of momentum around the private sector bringing new tools in into the food systems transformation that we require right here at home to ensure access to more nutritious 
food was monumental. And it's just the beginning of the what is possible because there is so much that is required. So that food, health and nutrition investor coalition will come together on a regular basis as a new team. They're coming together for investments in ag tech, food tech, nutrition, healthcare, biotech, pharma, as well as other types of firms that are operating across the food system. And so we invite your listeners to learn more about this commitment. And for those investors who are interested in joining the coalition, we say, come on, go to fnhic.splashthat.com and learn more about this coalition, because this is the first time in the U.S. that many of these firms are competitors come together with us with a goal in mind. You know, a lot of new initiatives and partnerships came either out of this conference or made commitments to this conference, whether it's private sector, investors, but even like local governments and NGOs and grassroots organizations, advocacy organizations. Who's keeping that going? Like after the conference, right? Because it is sort of like, what's next? Who's keeping this momentum and who's tracking these partnerships people are making? Maybe it's not, you know, what's happening in your organization because you're tracking that. You're responsible for that. So we know it's going to keep going. But what about all the others, right? Right. And there were many conversations that were held. In fact, FSF convened dialogues, particularly with those with lived experiences, because too often these conversations are just between those who are in the activist community or the types of leaders that we've talked about before. But this conference also included recommendations from participation in and will, depending on support of those with lived experiences, to ensure that both the policies as well as the investments make a difference in the lives of the people who are detrimentally impacted by the challenges of hunger, health, and nutrition. And so those conversations, in fact, we are hosting a post-White House summit conversation around the outcomes with leaders from the community, business, as well as those with lived experience on World Food Day say, were you satisfied? What else do we need to do? How do we keep you engaged? And just as we're one example, but many organizations are embracing building new toolkits for advocacy and outreach. I, Harvard University is landscaping the policies and what is necessary for the policies that Biden outlined to ensure that they are actually implemented and that you have the right support for those policies to ensure that we can achieve bipartisan support for that passage and then ultimately for the implementation. So mm-hmm. it's happening. We're short order from the conference, but I think as we go into 2023, you're going to see more conversation ongoing because when you wake up a community of interest, the good news is that they are then part of the action as you move forward. The bad news for those who think that you can hold a conference and then silence those who were interested and participated, they're simply wrong because the people are going to demand that commitments were made and that those commitments are met. You know, I feel like we have to talk about some of the criticisms for the conference, too. You know, in D.C., it certainly received criticism of not being truly bipartisan. It received criticism of sort of last minute planning or not being very thoughtful in who was invited or who was invited, how that whole how the invitations went out. 
But there was also, of course, criticism in the press when President Biden made a gaffe of calling out for a Congress member who had recently passed. So I guess I feel like I have to bring it up. Is any of that criticism, do you feel warranted? And what do you say to those that focus more as far as media attention on those rather than the good things about the strategy and the new partnerships? Washington is a tough place right now. I don't think you could do anything in Washington and not receive criticism from some quarter. And if we focus on the criticism as opposed to the outcomes, we won't do anything. We'll stand still. And there are many who like us all to just stand still. But I say to the critics, I too was disappointed that there was not more bipartisan representation. Because as I began this conversation with you, of those 117 million people who are affected, the 33 million people by diet-related disease and the 33 million who are hungry, they live in all of our states. And they're looking for leadership to solve these challenges from their elected officials. And I'm hopeful that as we move forward, that you will see more bipartisan support. I am hopeful that those who were sitting in that audience, those who participated in the hundreds of dialogues that were held before the conference with those with lived experience who participated in those conferences, who live in all of states across America, that they will hold their representatives accountable. It is those, those citizens, those voters that are going to make the difference in whether or not we continue to have bipartisan support. Shame on us. If we can get bipartisan support for feeding the babies in Yemen, but we can't get bipartisan support for feeding the babies in Mississippi, for ensuring yeah. that a mother has access to the nutritious food that she needs. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute, because, you know, the national strategy, the conference, if you've mentioned this several times, this is about the issues here at home. But does it connect at all to any of the global issues in terms of U.S. leadership addressing the global food crisis? I mean, you know... So well, so do I. We're in a serious global food crisis right now between COVID and conflict and the war in Ukraine and the pandemic. Like We're really backsliding on some major progress that had once been made. Does the national strategy released with this conference and the conference and all the things you've talked about around it, does it connect it all to global or are those just two separate issues? They're two separate issues. And I think it was really important. And it was a thoughtful decision by the White House to make this focus solely on domestic because um, there's a recognition that there is an ongoing conversation. And indeed, the White House hosted a food summit in New York during Unger Week. And the president made his announcements of additional support for the ongoing high food price crisis, as well as the support for food assistance uh, where there's acute hunger in some of the conflict areas around the globe. That conversation must go on. But it's been 50 years since we convened a conversation specifically focused on our issues here at home. They are not mutually exclusive. And we must, as leaders, have the capacity to chew gum and walk. We must have the ability to address the challenges over there, but also the issues and challenges right here at home. 
Well, let's talk about the national strategy. So it was released the day before the conference and it focused in on the five pillars. I won't read them all. Anyone can go online and find the national strategy. You know, it seemed pretty comprehensive to me, but I wasn't part of that planning process. And you were on the advisory committee that helped shape this conference and probably the strategy. Were you satisfied with the strategy? Do you feel like it had everything it needed to be included is my first part of the question. And the second is who's executing that? Who's following up on that strategy? Who's responsible for it? So I'm like a kid on Christmas. You make a long wish list of what you want and you're satisfied when the primary ideas and items on that list you actually see under the tree. And that's exactly what happened here. There were some ideas and recommendations that the task force put forward that were not included in the recommendations. When the recommendations include issues related to poverty with minimum wage, when they include universal school meals, when they include putting forward new dietary guidelines for our nation, we haven't had a dietary guidelines in decades, new dietary guidelines. When they include the child tax credit, as you mentioned earlier, we've already developed the evidence from the work that was done during COVID of the impact that that has on reducing poverty of families with children. And so we don't need to go through every item on the list, but there are some significant outcomes that were articulated under each of these pillars that will make a difference in the lives of those suffering from hunger and nutrition, and particularly those with diet-related diseases. Now, who follows up on this? What I was amazingly impressed about with the preparation for this conference was how every agency in this government was involved in developing the outcome and putting work into what were their responsibilities for the different policies that will require action post-conference. Each one of them maintained responsibility for identifying outcomes that they could deliver. And now for delivering pathways to making those outcomes a reality. Now, if you've ever worked with Susan Rice before in your career, the one thing she is, is organized and directed. And she led the DPC on the development of the outcomes and is now well into the conversations and the convenings that are necessary to continue that work to support the implementation of those policies. And with her in charge, I have no doubt that the deliverables will come to pass. And by DPC, you mean Domestic Policy Council, right? Thank you. Yeah. And I I heard, I wasn't at the conference myself, but I heard that Susan Rice was there from the beginning to the end all day long. And that made me think, I think she's the one in charge. (laughs) From the beginning to the end to the point where the private sector convened afterwards. And I sent Susan a test and asked her to join us. And she was very quick to say, I am very tired, but she (laughs) showed up, but she showed up. Secretary Vilsack was there. Congressman McGovern was there. Cory Booker came through because this was the opportunity to say thank you to those in that whole of society who were present for the entire day and are committed to that implementation that you've just been asking about. Yeah. So she showed up there no matter how tired she was. And that is how she operates. She will continue to put forward every effort to ensure that within her capacity to lead and to support that the work 
is performed at the level that is necessary to achieve the goals that the White House is committed to moving forward. You mentioned in previous podcasts, but you even brought up today talking about inequalities in, in America, as well as like, you know, access to healthy food, right? I mean, Biden talked about that even in his remarks at the beginning of the conference. Can you give us some examples of how you think the strategy and it's not just the conference, right? It's more of like the, the partnerships and the energy around all of this. How is it really going to fix some deeply embedded challenges that we have both structurally and logistically and never mind, you know, culturally around our food systems and our inequalities we have in this country? Sure. Policy can only go so far in making those structural changes. And and it is private sector, this is why I keep going back to private sector and investments and how critical the role of, of private sector is. You know, to see the CEO of the Food Marketing Institute, who was there from beginning to end, representing all of the grocery stores in the United States and all many of the consumer goods companies in the United States, making commitments on behalf of her members of how they will work together. And she had a couple of her CEOs there with her as well. We need to address the challenges of so many of our communities that have been redlined for investment, whether it's in the area of housing or in the areas of new businesses. And the younger activists now don't want to call them food deserts, but I'm an old girl, so I'll say the food deserts because I think your listeners will know what I'm talking about. Places where people are required to go outside of their community to get fresh food. That's about investment and moving capital in different ways. And what the government can do is create the macro ecosystem to support and facilitate that movement of capital. And then what we need is that commitment that they've made to follow through on with the capital to invest in those communities. And we're not just talking about inner cities. If you've been to any rural area in the United States where the what was bustling, even if they were small shopping areas, they were bustling shopping areas, they don't exist anymore. They have regional centers where Walmart is located, but you don't have the grocery store, the fresh grocer, the fresh produce market, the availability. And so you have seniors in these rural areas who have no access to Walmart because they don't drive anymore. They can't afford to go that far for food. And so what they eat is quite limited. And you get back to that cycle again of we forget that we spend $6 billion a year in this country on diabetes care. And diabetes is directly related to diet. So now the answer that many discussed during this conference, and I embrace it because I think it's a good tool, was prescription produce, ensuring that those who have diet-related diseases have access to the foods that they need. So addressing that challenge to help them overcome it. But, you know, I said, let's be a little more creative. Let's look at new solutions, invest in new solutions to provide fresh produce to people before they have access, before they have diabetes, before they have hypertension. And again, you talk about our structural challenges. And then one of our structural challenges in this country is that we have a sick care system and not a health care system. And so bringing in those tools that will address prevention 
I'm from the international community. We talk about building resilience and supporting the ability for people to feed themselves in the long term. Let's talk about those same kinds of issues right here at home and the uh, identifying the investments, the policies, the programs. Really what it's about is talking about, yes, resiliencies and these things that are so important that we've been focusing on in, in global food systems and global food and, and nutrition security and how important that conversation is here at home and how that leadership and the shifts and change that are needed to change our systems here so that all Americans really have access to healthy food for themselves is so important. Earthrin, you've been great. Thank you for helping us, you know, understand some of the historic, large <laughs> announcements that were made. You know, and it's not just the conference, right? It was all the many months of planning up to it. It's all the many months and years. You know, even those big sweeping changes that happened from Nixon's conference 50 years ago didn't happen right away. They happened years later. It takes time. It takes a lot of leadership, a lot of effort from a lot of people to get there. Way bigger than just government. It's going to take more than Susan Rice. No matter how much energy she has, it's going to take those investors, the private sector, local government, advocacy organizations, and everybody else to see if we can really implement these strategies and the policies that were talked about in the partnerships at this conference. Anything else that you want to add to our listeners and in terms of people are, are excited about this and haven't been focusing maybe as much on domestic issues, what should they be doing? How can they get involved? Because this is a whole of society, there's room and opportunity for everyone to get involved. You did a great job of talking through that list of partners that are necessary to align their efforts around addressing the challenges that have been so clearly identified. And as the government creates, as we talked about earlier, that macro ecosystem with new programs, new initiatives to align the private sector investment with that work is going to be quite critical. The one partner that we brought to the table and actively engaged for this conference and in development of the recommendations as well as in development of the outcomes were those with lived experience. Too yeah. often we leave the people who are affected by the challenges of hunger, the malnutrition and diet-related disease. We serve them, but we serve them what we believe they need as opposed to bringing them into the conversation. Their voice, we should not only hear it, but their recommendations, we should also consider and where appropriate and possible, we should include. I am hoping and imploring your listeners to continue to reach out, having spent the last 10 years or so uh, internationally coming home to the United States. There's so many local community groups doing so many impressive activities that are addressing some of these structural challenges that you discussed. And so I would say, don't ignore them, bring them in, participate and work with those leaders in those communities. And then you're doing exactly what we talk about in the international community. You're localizing your solutions in a way that will make those solutions much more resilient and much more adaptive to the needs of the communities that we serve. And so this is a great opportunity for us to take the lessons we learned in our international work and bring them home and solve the challenges that are facing too many Americans. So the next time we talk about this 50 years from now, we are in a situation where there's no American who's hungry and we've addressed the issues of diet-related disease. Thank you. Thank you, Arthrin. Thank you to our listeners. Please tune in next time for the next episode of Reset the Table. Thank you. 
That's it for today's episode of Reset the Table. You can subscribe on Apple or Spotify and follow us on Twitter at CSIS Food. Until next time.